You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Spara's headquarters is the land we've been waiting for for growth spiral based flash and control decks. Is it finally time to make Bant happen? Then on the flashback, testing results with Luxior, Jada's Gift. That's all coming up on this edition of Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you from a very balmy spring day in Minnesota, and I am joined by the Faithless Looting CEO. He is Daniel Schriever. Dr. Dan, what is going on? Hey, good to see you, David. Good to be here. Happy Monday. Yeah, good to be anywhere. (laughs) We have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We have another card we are going to brew around from New Capenna. We have some results from Luxior Giada's Gift. And we even have a little check-in on our monthly project as we continue to investigate Invoke Calamity. But before we get to all of that fun stuff, we have maybe even more fun stuff, which is housekeeping. A quick reminder that if you would like to support the show, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing and join at whatever level is comfortable for you. What are you going to join the Patreon? You get to A, support the show. We're cool guys. You like to, you know, be a part of the dream. Two, you get Discord access. The Discord is full of all kinds of crazy ideas, people spitting out card combos, synergies, uh, you know, whatever about life in, in general. And then there's a bunch of other fun perks, merch, etc. If we're before we get another <laughs> reemergence of COVID, if you want to have a sweet uh, you know, dice or cards or whatever, you know, you want to get out now before, uh, you know, we all start to get sick again. So, and if you want to vote on the, the monthly project with Serum Visions, uh, like I said, we're, we're looking at Invoke Calamity this month. And that was voted on by people in the Discord, people who, uh, who are supporting the show. Yeah, exactly. All the cards on the ballot were nominated by people in our Discord. That is one of the benefits you get for joining the Patreon. And we'll be doing that again next month. So... Yeah, patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. That's where you can find all of that. Other places you can find us. Uh, we are on Twitter at faithlessmtg. We're also on Instagram, Facebook. And we are now on YouTube. This is something that Mordekaiser and myself have been developing a little bits. We're trying to get some gameplay out there. So I'm going to hopefully be uploading, or hopefully we'll have already uploaded by the time you're hearing this, some of my gameplay with Luxior Giada's Gift. And you'll be able to find new videos there uh, three times a week is what we're aiming for. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you would like to see. Yeah, so if you want to be one of the first people to leave a nice YouTube comment, this is the place to come and do it. You can leave all the negative YouTube comments, you know, for Joe Rogan podcasts or whatever. (laughs) All right, so we're brewing new decks today. We're checking in on some of our previous suggestions. The theme for this week is Bant Week. We're actually brewing around a land, and I don't know that we've actually done a land. Have we ever done a land before? I don't think we did Urza Saga, because first of all, Damon thought it was going to be unplayable. 
in classic Damon style. And then by the time week one was up, I think it was already, you know, the most expensive card for Modern Horizons 2. And, and I don't think we did a full week on it. That's the only one I can even think of. Maybe we did a Lotus Field list with brought back. I guess it was more of like a brought back week. I'm not sure. Oh, we did do a Lotus Field week. Yeah, we did. That was like one of our very first episodes. Yeah. Interesting. Before Pioneer even existed as a format, by the way. So don't get mad at us for not finding the Lotus Field uh, hidden strings list. All right. So Sparrow's Triome, the Banth Triome. You know what the most tilting thing about this? Not not to beat this horse again, but like I knew we were going to feature this card today. And I was like, okay, what is it called? And, you know, I usually just go to Scryfall and type in some part of what I know and I can like find the card from there. And I just like could I had no clues. I had no idea what this card was called. No, I totally agree. What I've what I've defaulted to do when I'm building decks in Magic Online is I just type Forest Plains Island, and there's actually very few cards that meet the criteria for that. And so that's that's how I find these freaking things. They're not all headquarters. This is Spara's headquarters. They're not all <laughs> triomes. They're not all anything. They're not all Sparas. It's just a maddening decision. And I know Emmy said on a previous show, he thinks this is just so they won't ever reprint them again. That seems crazy because Triomes are so essential to mana bases. I know people like them in casual decks. Obviously, it makes for kind of interesting standard decks where you have these cycling. Uh, it, it makes mana very good in three mana colors. I think when mana is good, standard is very interesting. I can't believe they'd never reprint this again. This just feels like an unforced error, to put it kindly. I just wanted to have a nice picture of this card for us to look at while we talk about it. And it took me a lot longer than I would care to admit to just find the card <laughs> and figure out what it was called. Okay. Falco Sparrow's Headquarters. Forest Plains Island comes into play tap. Cycling 3. It's a Triome. It's the Bant Triome. Why are we featuring this card? Both in general or why specifically the Bant one? Yeah, so I think we've covered this pretty well in, in spoiler season. I think you and, and um, Emmy and... and um I think this is even before Zach went on vacation or uh, went, went not, not on vacation, went away to his work. The Triomes in, in Modern don't change the mana base that much. It does make, you know, three mana better, but functionally you get to play one Triome and you, you get to play like nine of them, right? Because you're playing eight to 12 fetch lands and they can all on turn one fetch Spars headquarters where you want. But when you don't want that, you you fetch Hallowed Fountain or whatever. In Pioneer, things are a little different, right? The Triomes are very important, A, because... They let you, uh, you have to play four of them if you want to get the full effect, if you want to draw them commonly. And then playing Triomes means that the check lands, the old school check lands, like the M10 check lands, are actually better than the new slower check lands because you have much more types in your list. And it lets you build specifically, Sparse Headquarters lets you build Bant Control and Bant Tempo decks, uh, which were very difficult to build before. Because the cards you want to play uh, are very mana intensive in terms of you want blue blue and white white and green green. And the only way to do that is to build a list that had a bunch of lands that, you know, pathway mana bases were not good at doing that. Especially because you only had one fast land, which was Botanical Sanctum, the blue green one. But Spar's Headquarters lets you build a very robust mana base while also supporting Growth Spiral, which is like one of the best cards in the format that not that many people are playing because blue green doesn't have removal. So you need to splash into another color, which is white or black, and white has the flash payoffs that we want in a bunch of different shells. You mentioned the pathways. Pioneer has really become like a pathway format. Like Those are the first eight lands, sometimes 10 or 12 lands you'll see, even in three-color lists. This list that you're going to start us off with here is a Bant list that has no pathways whatsoever. 
So it's almost like you just pick a side. Like, are you a Pathways deck or are you trying to play on curve? In which case, the Pathways are some of the best lands we've ever seen. Or are you reactive? In which case, Triumph Checkland is your bread and butter. Yeah, exactly. I think when the Pathways were previewed, I said on this podcast, I think these are the best lands ever printed for two-color decks uh, since the Shocklands themselves, and I got some stick for it, and I think time has proven me the wiser. I think they're way more powerful than we realized at the time. But yeah, they really struggle when you want to cast multiple cards with two CMC in the cost. So if you want to cast Absorb and you want to cast Wandering Emperor, Mm-hmm. and you still want to have green in your deck, then Pathways are not good, right? Uh, not good at casting those cards. They're still obviously great cards. So when, this, when Wandering Emperor was spoiled, we didn't even highlight it as much, right? I think it's much better than any of us thought. But I specifically said, as soon as uh, we, we had a, a hint that Nuka Pena was going to finish the Triumph cycle, I said, as soon as Wandering, as soon as that happens, I'm going to play one, four Wandering Emperor, four Nipec Ambusher. That is the thing I'm going to do for sure. Because I really want to turn Wandering Emperors plus... Uh, counter ability into a much more powerful effect. And that is exactly what Night Pack Ambusher does. Night Pack Ambusher is a card you can play at the end of your opponent's turn. On their turn three, possibly, you can flash a Night Pack Ambusher. Past your turn, you play a fifth land or don't. You don't have to cast anything. You get another wolf. And now your opponent is put in a possible position. They have to do something to interact with your Night Pack Ambusher. That means you get to resolve a four mana Planeswalker that they can't attack. And you'll get to activate at least twice. And you have a body in play because Nightpack Ambusher made the second wolf. So Nightpack Ambusher is a tempo card that wants to put pressure on people's life. Wandering Emperor lets you do that while also being an amazing removal spell and still allowing you to fall within your flash plan. Uh, so it differs in a lot of ways from the, the blue-black cards we were trying to play where there were no good blue threats other than just Night, uh, Brazen Borrower and there aren't any good black flash threats. What you're saying is really attractive. I want to love this, but... I can't remember the last time I've seen a Nightpack Ambusher in Pioneer, and that makes me feel like it's not a good card. Now, are you saying that that's, that's not the case? It's just that the mana has not supported this kind of thing before? Nightpack Ambusher is a bad card when the most played removal is black, because Fatal Push is still reasonably good against Nightpack Ambusher. But the thing that changes the equation is we aren't a, uh, we're a tempo deck that doesn't have to play that many creatures because Wandering Emperor is functionally a bunch of creatures if you want it to be, right? It's just a bunch of 2-2 Vigilance creatures that protect your Wandering Emperor. So Fatal Push isn't as good against that. And then second of all, Fatal Push is not that played right now because Red-Blue is so good. And if you're playing against a Red-Blue list, then Nightpack Night Ambusher is great. You play it on their end step, you get another wolf, and now it's a three for one because they have to cast two shocks to kill the ambusher and another shock to kill the two two wolf. Most blue red decks are not playing the one red do five spell, right? They're not Phoenix lists. They're they're playing Ledger Shredder, right? They're playing um, Narset. Narset is not a good card against Nightpack Ambusher, right? Uh, Thing in the Ice is not a good card against Nightpack Ambusher. It just <laughs> it just attacks through it. Okay, all right. So we've got Nightpack Ambusher, we've got Wandering Emperor. What's the rest of the deck? So we're playing Grow Spiral. Like I said, I think this card is one of the, uh, we have to make our list, but it'd be my top 10 most powerful cards in the format. It just isn't seeing play because the other cards that support don't exist. I'm proposing that the Bant Triome lets that shell now exist. Um, so four Grow Spiral, three Dovin's Veto, three March of Otherworldly Light. Dovin's Veto, super powerful card. We see, we've seen people start to main deck more and more of these. March of Otherworldly Light, obviously very powerful removal spell. Um, 
Two Jorai Disruption, I normally prefer Sensor, but we want extra mana sources so that our Growth Spirals are better. So with 25 lands, plus we have two MDFCs, that's 27. That's about the number where uh, Growth Spiral just gets awesome. Two Absorbs, you need a hard counter spell. And then we have the Speculative Cards, a one of Broker's Charm, a one of Endless Detour. Uh, Broker's Charm is the Bant Charm, obviously. Endless Detour is the other charm that can target any non-land permanent. Uh, one of Settled Wreckage, because it's so good with Wandering Emperor and Nipec Ambusher. Again, your opponent just has to play around all this stuff. Three Sylvan Carry added. This is sort of the extra growth spirals. We don't want to play four of them because that's too many mana sources. Two Brazen Borrower. Again, that's part of our tempo plan. Another great card to absorb plus one, plus one counters for Wandering Emperor, right? It becomes a threat. And then Suspicious Stowaway is our like anti-control card. On the play, you play Suspicious Stowaway against Blue-White Control. They just play their second land and pass. <laughs> you flip Suspicious Stowaway, you attack. Do two to them. You can now cast a spell every turn if you like. Uh, you're, you're just drawing a card a turn. There's nothing that they can do. You probably are going to board it out against Blue-Red and a few of these other decks that have removal. Um, it's also quite a good card against uh, Lotus Field, right? They, they don't interact with it. They don't. They often don't cast spells, uh, especially if they're like cycling or stuff like this. Suspicious Stowaway just loots you to your, you know, po uh, sideboard cards or, or your, your counter spells in game one. Well, I'm glad you gave a little pitch for it because I do think that is the most suspicious looking card here in, in both senses, right? It's it's not a flash card. It's a fragile creature. Turns on the removal in a way that their Sylvan carriages here don't. Sorcery speed, but I guess everything you're saying makes sense. The upside is clearly there. And in a deck that is otherwise all instant speed, I think you can probably afford to play a couple two drops. Yeah, you, you have to play a couple two drops. It does not have to be suspicious stowaway. But I don't think the other options are better. And Suspicious Stowaway is at its best with Wandering Emperor and Nipec Ambusher. You just have these very cheap ways to give it extra power. It threatens other Planeswalkers. And yeah, it's specifically bad against Blue-Red. Fine. Black-Red is going to have Fatal Push anyway to kill Ambusher. But Suspicious Stowaway is quite good against like Winota. Again, there's only certain cards that matter. And we found that the main reason that... Um, you know, cards like the the Fable of the Mirror Breaker are good is the looting effect, right? So if March isn't good, I want to find my Dovin's Veto. If Dovin's Veto isn't good, I want to turn into anything else. So the, the looting effect is actually very powerful, again, because the format is so polarized. All right, you kind of glossed over the Bant Charm, but I do want to ask you about it. This is Broker's Charm, green, red, not red, green, white, blue, instant. Choose one. Draw two cards, or destroy target enchantment, or... Target creature you control gets one, gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. Then it punches one of your opponent's creatures or planeswalkers. That is, it deals damage equal to its power to that creature or planeswalker, and they don't they don't get to hit back. Is this here just to see what happens? I mean, I assume that the draw two is the primary mode. It's kind of like your archmage's charm. Yeah, exactly. Three mana draw two does not exist in the format right now at, at, at instant speed. But yeah, th this is just a, to see how it feels. Um, you, we should see a reasonable amount of our deck. You know, I'll, I'll draw out some amount of games and, and we'll see how good it, it is. I'm guessing it's probably not good enough and I'd, I'll wish it was a, a an endless detour is my suspicion. But um, I don't know that. So it looks a little suspicious. That I don't think destroy enchantment mode matters. There's, there aren't very many enchantments I care about. But, you know, the only way you can find out with these cards is you have to try them. I look forward to your reports. All right, so that's a Bant Flash Werewolves deck. Uh, your next list here, Bant Lotus Control, is one that you've actually already tested. Yeah, I built an early version of this with terrible mana and a bunch of terrible cards. So I'm going <laughs> to 
The main thing is I do not have enough white sources, so I've corrected that. But the, So this deck is taking advantage of Strict Proctor and Tails End with uh, Lotus Field. The key addition, though, is Grow Spiral into Lotus Field on your, on your opponent's second turn EOT, turning your fourth turn into, you know, Memory Deluge or whatever. And then just you can just naturally draw without having to draw any combo, right? You just Grow Spiral. It's still just a ramp spell into Lotus Field. And Lotus Field eventually resolving to fairy in your control deck is just very powerful. We saw uh, a Luripur play a Grow Spiral to fairy list without any triomes. And they just had this crazy mana base. I think they played like 26 or 27 lands. They had no combos. They had no Shrek Proctor, no Tails End. They were just there, like just to fairy plus uh, Lotus Field. They were in for it. And they, I think they 5-0'd once. They played it a lot and didn't 5-0 again. So maybe that says something. But yeah, and then this deck again is taking advantage of new additions to this because the white white is so easy for us to get wandering emperor becomes very powerful memory deluge is a card i was only playing one of in my original version i'm up to four uh it's just so good you have all this extra mana and you always want to be doing something on four uh, i just wanted less clunky cards and wandering emperor again it's a removal spell it's also protecting our planeswalkers and it's also whatever pumping our strict proctor if we want to and it just is a win condition on, on its own another way to, to pressure planeswalkers so yeah, I think I went 2-3 and I lost two matches because I just did not have enough white lands. So I, I would have gone for one if I wasn't an idiot. But unfortunately, I was. So now we have to build this deck uh, with the uh, updated mana base and uh, making the deck a little less clunky. So Lotus Field paired with something, whether that's Blood Sun, whether that's Tails End, Strict Proctor. I mean, if you followed the last historic, whatever they call it, is it a pro tour? Whatever they call the last one. <laughs> yeah, the the blue-white Lotus Field deck, and there was also a Jeskai version that uh, both you and I have had experience with. Like that that part is known, but the Lotus Field itself, as powerful it is as it is, is kind of awkward with reactive cards, right? You kind of have to play it on turn three just to get it down because it's a tap land, and then it, it just consumes your other lands. So you're just tapped out on turn three. Um you have to tap out on turn three. So this growth spiral line is like so intriguing, right? Like what if I didn't have to tap out on turn three? What if I just did it on turn two on their end step? That being said, growth spiral is literally your only green card. If you if you didn't stretch for it, you could just have a nice clean blue-white list. Yeah, but it's exactly like you said. You're not always going to draw your Strict Proctor. You're not always going to draw your Tails End. You don't want to play too many of these effects, right? We could play four Tails End and four of that six mana card that costs two on your turn. Uh, that ends your turn or whatever. You can do all that stuff, but Gross Spiral is just a great card. Like I said, it's super powerful. I think it is worth splashing for. Um, if you want to play more green cards, if it makes you feel better, we can put some green cards on the sideboard. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think Gross Spiral is actually the best card in this entire deck. Uh, I think it's better than Memory Deluge. I think it's maybe Wandering Emperor is better than it. So we're just increasing our card quality at the cost of probably two to four life a game is kind of how I feel about it. Because we're already going to play some number of cycling lands because we have to play so many lands with Lotus Field. So why not just play the Bant Triumph? We don't, we basically play that. That's like free. Mm. So we're having to play like a couple Botanical Sanctums, four Breeding Pool, two Temple Garden. Like, all right, we'll just live with that. I do wonder if like you have Absorb here as your three mana counter of choice. And that is not castable off the Lotus Field. I wonder if you should consider just like a, what, a neutralize or something. Yeah, so play neutralize in the first version. And every time Teferi untaps two lands, if one of them is Lotus Field, you have two different kinds of mana. 
True. So, so there's no, it's very rare for you to untap with just Lotus Field, I guess, is the point. If you play Lotus Field just naturally, right, we just second turn, Girl Spiral, play Lotus Field, we're probably going to have another land. So it's the same. It's like neutralized, but... And the three life matters a lot. So in general, I think it's fine. I, I agree with what you're saying, and that's why I was playing some neutralizes at first, and just Absorb was always better. I always cut neutralize first. Because Teferi untaps two lands, so it doesn't matter that you yeah. have Lotus Field in play. It's like, you don't have a use for that extra mana anyway. Now, Lotus Field also means we are probably not going to be playing stuff like the Broker's Charm or the Endless Detour in this deck. It's just a little too awkward. Exactly. So that's why we're not splashing any other cards that have uh, that are three mana or more that just have one green in the casting cost. You could, if you wanted to have like a good anti-aggro card, for instance, I think a very reasonable card to play is the three green green six six trample that like gains three life or makes it three three or draws a card when it blocks or attacks elder gargaroth yeah like a very good card against spirits right that we can easily cast the double green doesn't matter because we're very likely to find lotus field by that point you know we just memory deluge for it on turn four hmm. so that that's a card you could consider it just the the sideboard cards i have selected i think are just a little better settle the wreckage is just a very powerful anti-aggro card uh, so same with Wandering Emperor, right? There, and they're just a little easier to cast because we are much mo- basically a white blue deck, like you say. That's exactly splashing for Gross Spiral, which is exactly what Sander decks were doing for a very long time because Gross Spiral is so powerful. Last question: How do you like Strict Proctor right now against the current Pioneer metagame? Strict Proctor, one three flying Spirit Cleric for one and a white, so that's decent stats. And then its ability, whenever a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability to trigger counter that ability unless this controller pays two so you just play strict proctor you play lotus field as a land and you counter your own trigger decline to pay but it also in theory messes with your opponents in theory it attacks and blocks yeah very 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 good against winota but that's the only deck that it's really good against it has some corner case stuff with spirits. It has some corner case stuff against red black. Like a lot of the creatures come into play and don't make blood, for instance. Mm. But I mean, that's that's really minor. I have to say, bad against other Lotus decks, and it's bad against Kroxa. You, you don't have to discard, but they get a six six. They get to attack. Right. <laughs> I will note. I I didn't understand how it worked. It does not stop the first counter that you get on to. Um, like Fable of the Mirror Breaker. It enters with a counter. It doesn't, uh, it's not a trigger. So that first time that happened, that kind of surprised me. Um, but it's great against Winota. Winota is the most played deck in the format. If you turn to Proctor against them, it's it's you're a massive favorite, even if you don't draw your, uh, your Lotus Field. I guess that's because the Saga, the triggered ability is not caused by the, the Saga coming into play. It's caused by the chapter counter going on. Yep, exactly. So there, it's just the slight uh, twist in the verbiage or something means that huh. it doesn't do what you want it to do. I do think, to your point there, Dan, you could play three Strict Proctor, two Tails End. Tails End is good, is really good right now. It stops Narset, which is a very common card that Blue-Red plays. Obviously, it has a ton of targets against Blue-White. And against Winota, it's still a fine card. It counters Chariot and Winota. Counters Thalia, which a lot of people are now playing. So it has it has a ton of targets. Tails End is as... Is, is, a very reasonable card right now. Against um, Mono Green, it actually has a ton of targets, and there aren't that many coming to play targets for Strict Proctor against Mono Green. So maybe you want three Strict Proctor, two Tails End. That, that, that seems very reasonable to me. Okay, so that is Bant Lotus Field Control with four Sparrows Headquarters to enable 
your turn two growth spiral or your turn two strict proctor, as the case may be. In modern, the triumphs, <laughs> I'm going to call them triumphs. The triumphs do make a difference, but because of fetch lands, you're just not going to see them as much. Mordekaiser is not recording with us today, but Spara's headquarters is the first card that he bought. Um, I think day one that Nuka Pena was online, he hunted down a couple of copies of it because he loves he loves these Yorian four color or Bant blink value decks, and he's got yeah three leagues already with a with a Bant blink based on the Currivor kind of blue white shell. What are we talking about here? When we say Currivor, we specifically mean some number of Restoration Angel, which is why I love this man. Oh, there they are, yeah. I see them now. Two copies of Restoration Angel hiding in there. So Emmy only plays 80 card decks. So there's a Yurian Companion. There's Abundant Growths. Ice Fang Quattles, couple Omen of the Sea. A lot of miscellaneous control cards. So four Archmage's Charm, four Counterspell, four Teferi Time Raveler, four Spreading Seas. Three Supreme Verdicts, four Solitudes, three Prismatic Endings, three March of Otherworldly Lights, two Wandering Emperors, two Memory Deluge, two Force Negation, and, of course, the two Restoration Angels. What difference does a Triome make for this deck? Well, if you're listening, you heard me say Archmaze's Charm, that's blue, blue, blue. Counterspell, that's blue, blue. Solitude and Wandering Emperor, those are double white. And you also would love to play Abundant Gross and Ice Fang Quietals on Curve. So the mana is somewhat demanding here. On the other hand, you could already play like, you know, a mostly shock fetch mana base. So you weren't necessarily going to be hurting on mana, but the way that Emmy likes to build these decks, I mean, the land count is, you know, enough to give me a heart attack. 31 lands out of 80 is like very, very... <laughs> That's more than it usually plays, and I think this is already like pretty greedy. So yeah, just knowing that if you're on a hand with like only two lands, that you're going to have all your colors... Um, in those first two land drops, I think does make a big difference. What do you think, Dan, since we have extra triomes, like we don't have, I don't, I mean, maybe if you want to add red, you have to go all the way and play turn one Ragavan, but let's say I don't want to do turn one Ragavan, but we could play like one um, Jeskai triome, one Teamer triome, and then like a couple of red blue shocks and just add a couple Omnaths. I mean, it just seems like such a powerful card we could just play for borderline free. Like, I, I just hate Celestial Colonnade, so, like, just cut those two. And then, you know, could we play, like, an Omnath over a Memory Deluge? Or, you know, this just feels like there's a... there's Or, like, one of the Restoration Angels. It just seems like there's got to be a home to play a couple Omnaths here. That, that, that seems pretty reasonable to me. Right, like, do you actually need the second copy of Sparrow's Headquarters? Or could that be the Rogren Triumph? Right. And you need any Celestial Colonnades, that could be literally any other land <laughs> that taps for red and a blue. Yeah, I do I do want to ask, I mean, like, why he's playing two of the Bant Triome. Like, do you ever actually need that second green? I don't think you do. Yeah, that, I mean, especially because there's only <laughs> eight green cards in the deck. I mean, it's it's just Ice Fang and Abundant Growth. Hmm. And especially with Ice Fang, you want to start fetching basics, right? The headquarter, the second headquarters is actually really bad for your Ice Fang. Yeah, so Emmy makes a note here that he went 3-2-2-3-4-1 with this build, and also 2-2 drop in one of the weekend challenges. So, not amazing results, but this is a shell that he's very familiar with. He's played a bunch of variations on it, and he did say that, you know, the presence of the Bant Triome, Sparrow's headquarters, did have, like, a huge difference in terms of 
extra consistency for your splash and your colors, and you said that you just can't underestimate that. All right, any other comments on Bant before we shift gears? I love playing Flash decks. Uh, I'm super excited for both of the lists we have this week. The first test drive we did for the first podcast we ever recorded was a Restoration Angel um, like Spell Stutter Sprite <laughs> yes. Flash list that I built, right? Yeah, the pre-Curry Vord. And if Growth Spiral, if Growth Spiral and this Triumph existed then, we 100% would have played green in that list, I can guarantee you. So it's like, we're getting back to our roots. This is the beginning of uh, Faithless Brewing. Wait, was Growth Spiral not a card back then? Well, there, the, the Triumph didn't exist. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> True. I don't know if Growth Spiral existed or not. I can't. Before COVID, it's just like a black hole that, you know, I don't, I don't know what cards came out in what year or what was going on. The long lost episode zero, the Restoration Angel episode. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Currivore, wherever you are, just doing God's work. <laughs> All right, I'm excited to see how these decks do. I mean, Bant is always just like a good, clean, fun style. Little, you could play a little Bant charm in the list, maybe? One of? Fun of? Modern legal? Actual, factual Bant charm? Sparrow's preference, I think that's what they call it. <laughs> Sparrow's <laughs> choice. All right, so enough of the nonsense. Let's talk about a very real card that we played with last week. We proposed a bunch of lists for Luxior Giada's Gift, and Dan, you were very eloquent on the Twitter feed, pointing out all the combos with this card. Just a quick reminder, everybody, very unique card, one mana artifact, Luxior Giada's Gift, legendary artifact equipment, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each counter on it of any kind. Equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition with other types. Equip a planeswalker for one colorless, equip three colorless. So you had outlined a bunch of combos, Dan. One of them was if you crew up a Sahili Rai and she targets herself with her minus two. If you have Altar of Brood in play, you get to make an infinite number of copies of uh, Sahili Rai and each of them is going to go to the graveyard as they legend rule themselves and you will get to mill your opponent out. And you had a bunch of different ways to build around that while strapping in other combos as well. So walk us through some of the stuff that you tried out. Yeah, exactly. So I played two versions of this deck. The Jeskai one was the better one, so I'll start with that. This is a triple combo. Classic triple combo deck. <laughs> classic triple combo. <laughs> exactly. We need Damon here to get upset for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't like double combo, but how does he feel about triple combo? I don't know. Oh, it's like the horseshoe theory, right? Like one combo, good. Two combo, bad. But like three combo brings it all the way back around. Like, ah, yes. Like the Drake meme. But like you have the one at the end where he's happy. Exactly. He's happy, then sad, then happy again. All right. So combo number one is the one that David just described. Ultra the Brood, Luxior Jada's Gift, and Sahili Rai. Three pieces. Combo number two, Sahili Rai plus Felidar Guardian. No surprises there. Combo number three, Felidar Guardian plus Altar of the Brood plus another Felidar Guardian. You just have the Felidars blink each other, and every time they enter the battlefield, you're milling your opponent out. You can actually achieve this two Felidar combo in, a, in another way just by having a Glass Pool Mimic in your mana base. At any point, you got to play the Glass Pool Mimic as a land, and then when you're ready for it, you play your Felidar Guardian, target the Glass Pool Shore. It blinks, it comes back as a clone, copies of Felidar Guardian, and now you're doing your loop. So, all three combos are present, and it's a pretty tight package. Four Sahili, four Felidar Guardian, four Altar of the Brood, one Luxior Giada's Gift. 
And for Urza's Saga, Urza's Saga is probably the, the key card to sort of make this feel like a plausible thing to try, right? Because both Alter and Luxior can be found off Chapter 3 of the Saga. So now it's like, all right, I'm actually feel pretty confident playing a full playset of altars because I have two different combos that actively want to have an altar. They can happen very, very early. Like turn four was pretty normal for this deck. I got one turn three, although my opponent disrupted it. Um, this, this deck can combo them very, very fast. And, you know, for people who would say, oh, you, they can just kill your altar. It's like, yeah, they can, but you always gain a mana or something. On, you know, you can like, okay, fine. You can march my altar. I spent one mana, you spent two mana. Like, there, there's that. that's not a bad trade. Yeah, it's actually somewhat difficult to kill outside of like the specialty stuff, like Prismatic Ending, March of Other Really Light. One player did manage to steal it with an Archimage's Charm, which was disappointing. <laughs> but you're playing, you know, four Alters and four Sagas, so I'm going to get another one. So it's interesting, like, the cards that I just named, that's not that many slots, right? I, I should include four Glass Pill Mimics as part of that core. But that's still only... How many cards? That's 21 cards. So there's a lot of customization left. You know, maybe there's like 15 or 20 actual flex slots to surround this combo core. And if you listen to our episode last Monday, I guess, Emmy and I talked about a bunch of different ways to like fill out the core, whether you're playing with more of Karn stuff or whether you're going for like a fair plan or whether you're just all in turbo combo with Emery's and whatever else. I decided to try for my first league kind of like a, a hybrid turbo combo and fair plan. By which I mean I, I wanted Stoneforge Mystics because that can find Luxior, but the Stoneforge can also find, you know, Aldra or Nettle Sist or something like that. I wanted Ingenious Smith to dig me towards Ultra the Brood, but Ingenious Smith can also, in theory, attack for damage the same way that, you know, Urza Saga could maybe just win the game with constructs. So four Ingenious Smith, four Stoneforge Mystic, four Portable Hole, two Imperial Recruiter, because this finds Felidor Guardian, this finds Stoneforge in a pinch. It's something that Sahili can minus two on for profit. And for my remaining slots, I went with some Moonsnare prototypes, trying to get some use out of the Altar of the Brood sitting around. Uh, I have a, a minor Urza Sagas package, Springleaf Drum, Shadow Spear, Soul Guide Lantern, and Aether Spellbomb. And like a, a minor Stoneforge package, Nettlesis, Cauldron. And that's pretty much it. So when I took this into the queues, like it was quite powerful. I beat Creativity Titan. I beat M. Hayashi on the signature M. Hayashi red deck. Um, I beat a main zoo. I got paired twice against Is It Murktide and ended up losing all four games in pretty much identical fashion. Like they would disrupt me a bunch of times, countering my stuff, killing my creatures. I would reassemble the pieces and we would just dance this dance back and forth for the entire game. And then I would come up either one card short or one turn short of like being killed by the Murktide or whatever it was. Like I, I felt like I was in it, but I wasn't quite set up for this particular matchup. Um, so I ended up finishing 3-2 after losing twice to Isaac Murktide. But I was encouraged despite that, that, you know, the the combo like was was happening quickly, it was happening consistently, I was assembling it multiple times in all my matches. Took a lot of people by surprise, like often I would just have Glasspool Mimic in play as the land. I would be going to chapter three off the Urza Saga, and I would know that they're dead. Like they're about to die. They have no idea, right? It doesn't look like they're gonna die. But chapter three is gonna find the Ultra of the Brood. I'm gonna float a mana, I'm gonna cast Felidar Guardian, and that's it. That's all she wrote. So it felt ex 
kind of sneakily explosive in a way that uh, I was really encouraged by. Yeah, I mean, you have some of these screenshots. It's crazy. It's it doesn't look like they're going to die, right? The the board actually looks very innocuous. You have a one one ingenious Smith in play and three lands. One of them is a saga going to fetch, and they're thinking probably like you're gonna exile all the graveyards because they have two Tarmogoyfs, and instead they just die. Uh, yeah, that's that is super encouraging. Now you have a note here that you're you won multiple games with uh, each combo. Mm-hmm. But the fair plan was a little lacking. So you never won a game where you stoneforged into Cauldra or made a big ingenious smith and beat them down. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was worse than I expected. Um, I don't know if that's just a matchup spread or if it's actually just a distraction. Like maybe those slots would be better off either playing more tutors or just protecting the combo more. Like what if I just played Teferi main deck and like Esper Sentinel to slow the opponent down and just not played any stoneforges? Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty awesome to me, right? Like, Esper Sentinel, obviously, another artifact, if we're doing anything that's artifact-based, but especially the Teferis, it just, that just seems really powerful. Yeah, so I think I'm going to give this another go. I'll probably try it again this week. But I'll put some of the g- initial gameplay up on the YouTube channel, so if you want to see this deck in action, uh, go check it out. Put the link in the description. Interesting note you have here about the mana sequencing, which I hadn't thought about, but as soon as you wrote it out, was was very intuitive. Because you have Glasspool Mimic as a, a land, you know, it's one of your land slots. You have 20 lands and then four Glasspool Mimics. And Urza Saga, the default play pattern, if you have both, is tapped Mimic into Saga. And then hopefully you've got, you know, whatever, two more lands to make your tokens, or you can go for your infinite combo. So... Your Moonsnare prototype actually doesn't line up well because of how the natural curve of how your deck wants to play. That's really interesting to me. I, I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it was actually really tough to get white mana in the first two turns. Not that I didn't have a white land in hand, but if I played a white land, I was going to slow down like either my Saga chapters or I was going to like force myself to play a tapped glass pool mimic on like a future turn. So maybe I just needed more blue spells like... Glint Nest Crane actually would have been more on plan than these two two <laughs> drops in white. Just because on turn two, I, I always had blue, but I didn't always have white on turn two. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so something to think about for sure. All right, next list. Going into green and red. So here we're comboing with Luxior, Giada's Gift, and Devoted Druid. This is, you know, the known combo that everyone immediately seized upon devoted druid will have us negative one negative one counters canceled out by the bonus from like Giada's gift you do have to pay full price you have to pay three mana to equip to the druid so it's kind of expensive to get set up but once it's equipped you're infinite in the exact same way that devoted druid plus vizier of remedies is infinite all right so how do you put this into a deck well green white druid is an option. We talked about that last week, but I was intrigued at the possibility of playing like a somewhat more fair gruel pile. Um, Mason Clark posted a 5-0 list that they um, they played over the weekend where it was just like red-green money pile and Karn the Great Creator was your, your main way to assemble the pieces. By money pile, I mean like Ren and Six, Ragavans, Season Pyromancer, Fury... Um, even Bonecrusher Giant is exp- expensive right now. I don't know what to make of that. Pioneer, I mean, Graveyard Trespass was an expensive card as well. Wow. Pioneer Staple. Yeah, I guess so. So there's actually not that many ways to assemble the combo here, right? Like, you can draw a Devoted Druid, 
if you either naturally draw Luxior or if you draw Karn TGC and find Luxior from the sideboard, then you're infinite. And then, you know, maybe you have a third piece, like a walking ballista from the sideboard to actually finish it off. But this is definitely like not primarily focused on the combo. I added Sahili because I, I feel like, you know, I like what Sahili can do in conjunction with cards like Season Pyromancer. There's, you know, the backdoor combo of Sahili plus Luxior plus Alter. Since you are playing Urza Saga in the main deck and Karn can fetch the pieces from the sideboard. But if there's like a, a line of like being a dedicated combo deck and just being a fair deck that occasionally combos, this, this deck was below that line. This deck was much more of just like a red-green stuff that occasionally combo by accident. And I kind of hated it for that reason. <laughs> so the car naturally just wasn't good enough to kind of woo you? I mean, it, was, it was okay. It was like when I happened to draw the combo pieces, I was like, this is awesome. Why am I not doing this more? Like I, mm. I won three matches. I went three and two, but like some of those matches were because I just happened to draw the Luxior at the right time. And like, I didn't feel like I didn't deserve it. <laughs> I should have been playing more of these cards because they were, they were the things that were actually winning the game. Chipping away with Renin 6 and Regavans and Season Pyromancer. I mean, people are prepared for this. You know, people are prepared. They can beat a Saga. They can, I think one game I managed to recur a Saga with Renin 6 a bunch of times. But beyond that, it was like, yeah, where's my edge coming from? I needed to like focus on one thing the deck did really well. And I think that actually Luxior plus Alter plus Druid like was that thing. And I just wasn't playing enough copies. I see. So you'd say abandon dreams of the fair plan and just do the... <laughs> the sweet thing more often yeah exactly exactly shame on me for like not playing enough of the sweet cards actually i wasn't fairly happy with karn so maybe going back to like our initial sketches green and white devoted druid with vizier with karn maybe with saga maybe that's like the most powerful you can do and the thing is like karn is good if you have a lot of mana so like devoted druid sometimes generates a bunch of mana nothing to do with it and karn is a good way to like turn that mana into stuff because even if it doesn't find the combo piece Karn also has a lot of good hate, right, that you've got built in. So now you've got your land can fetch some hate, main deck, and Karn can fetch certain kinds of hate. That just seems like reasonable, like as a backup plan, is maybe just hating your opponent as opposed to, like you say, chip in with running six or whatever. Yeah, I like that. All right, so those are my two first attempts at Luxior. In our Friday episode, David, Damon, and I went through all of the published results from opening weekend, and if you listen carefully, you will not hear Luxior mentioned at all in that episode. It just did not have a good opening weekend, and I'm not totally sure why. Like Having played the red-green list focusing on Devoted Druid, it was much too easy for them to kill the Devoted Druid. Maybe that's why Luxior is like going to be a slow starter, as people try and fail to make the Devoted Druid combo happen. But I do think that the second combo, you know, Sahili, Alter, Luxior is actually quite good. And I feel like that's where the, the future path forward is. Yeah. And we're not taking a position on this, but it just is the case, right? Everyone comes ready to kill turn one uh, Ragavan. I mean, everyone knows that's a thing you might have to face. And so, you know, yeah, we can all bitch about it. And it's this card well designed. I'm not taking a position. But it's a thing you have to interact with. Well, if you can kill turn one Ragavan, you can probably kill turn two Devoted Druid. Those are a pretty similar uh, suite of cards, right? So <laughs> maybe that's just a big part of it. Yep. <laughs> Your Lightning Bolts and Fatal Pushes and Marches, those all, those all also kill Devoted Druid. Uh, so <laughs> maybe it's, it's, it's a tough time to play creatures, man. People are ready to roll. All right. So if you're sick of playing creatures, how about some spells? How about Invoking Calamity? This is our monthly project. It was voted on by our patrons. Uh, last week, Emmy and I took a first stab at it. 
And I'm curious, David, if you had any thoughts on the card. Yeah, super sweet card. You know, the question becomes, do you want to play slightly worse cards that allow this to actually be like a combo win where you're basically just trying to loot away those cards that are not doing anything except for the turn that they get Invoke Calamity? Or can you play Invoke Calamity just like a value spell in a list that's playing a bunch of other value spells, right? So it's just more of, you know, whatever. You're... I know the first card I was very attracted to was... I guess now we play big score, but the the four mana that where you discard a card from your hand and make two treasures, right? We've got the upgraded version, big score, the old one, you know, two red, red version. Maybe you can play six or eight of those. That plus a copy is actually just a sweet, like, end of turn play with Invoke Calamity. It doesn't win the game, but you discard a card to draw three and make four treasures. So, you know, you should probably be winning next turn. You know, that that kind of thing is like, is that feasible to do? I'm not sure in Pioneer, is, but the ways to win involve playing a bunch of bad cards, right? Whereas those other cards that I just named, you're you're happy to play big score. That's that's a very playable card in, in Pioneer. So it's always the deck builder's dilemma, more consistency or more power? And, and can you find the, the middle ground in between all that? Yeah, I was intrigued by the list that you tested a few weeks back where you were playing Unexpected Windfall, but you were also playing like Iron Craig Feet and then... You just had some really surprising big meta payoffs. You had Crackle with Power. I think you had Ugin in there. Expansion Explosion. Yeah, so the strange reality is that Expansion Explosion can target a spell that is also being targeted with Invoke. And if it targets the spell that makes seven red mana, you still get to resolve another spell after that. And 14 mana plus Crackle with Power is lethal damage to your opponent if they're at 20. But Crackle with Power... Iron Crag Feet, these are actually not good cards. So <laughs> we have a whole deck where we're trying to play these big clunky cards and we're hoping that our uh, big scores or, um, you know, is it charms or, or considers are putting them in the graveyard for us and our opponents are interacting with the graveyard and we're getting up to uh, five mana. And that might be, you know, too big of an ask. So one of the Invoke decks that we talked about was... Emmy's take on Collected Conjuring plus Invoke Calamity. Collected Conjuring forces you to play all sorceries, and he had cards like Crashing Footfalls, like Search for Tomorrow, he had some Pillages, See the Truth was a big one. It's kind of like an Ancestral Visions, but it doesn't suck. And Invoke Calamity and Collected Conjuring both unlock the Draw 3 mode. Some initial gameplay of this was already up on our YouTube channel, and Emmy tinkered a little more, fixed some of the initial problems. Um, as we talked about, his mana base in the first draft was like much too blue heavy for a deck trying to cast a one red, red, <laughs> red, red spell. So you change the mana base to get more more red lands. Actually, now there's only two non-red lands in there. Extra fetch lands to get access to turn one green for either suspending Search for Tomorrow or Crashing Footfalls. And then took out his worst card, Invade the City, uh, replaced that with some Strangles. Strangles is a sorcery that gives them at least the, the fighting chance of killing a Planeswalker, which his first draft did not have. And this one performed well. It looks like he went three and one with it in his second attempt, and he said he was pretty encouraged. Just lost once to Mana Screw and had multiple Invoke Calamities sitting in hand. And yeah, it seems like he's on the right track here. So, the I mean, I love See the Truth. It's just better than... We're thinking that the fair case of See the Truth is a little better than the um, Ancestral Visions. Because you don't want to have to fetch blue on turn one. Just just suspending Ancestral Visions on, on one is worse than casting See the Truth on two. Is that 
I suspect that that's the case. That's wild because Ancestral Visions, I mean, obviously we know they don't know anything about modern, but it was, it was banned for a while. So <laughs> yeah. the reality is we think, see, the truth is just a better card. That's that's kind of interesting to me. Well, see, the truth is going to get banned. It's only fair. If you, you know, there isn't a river long enough, it doesn't eventually have a bend. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the theory, like a blank versus a card that at least digs you towards, you know, your next collected conjuring if it's a choice between casting sorcery speed anticipate for two or just dying with draw three on suspend i'll take the two two mana card yeah i love this search for tomorrow tech because it gets you to invoke calamity a turn earlier but it's also three mana sorcery and it lets you do a thing on one other than just spinning your wheels or, or casting a removal spell suspend search for tomorrow on one it comes off on turn three and you're ready to cast your first collected conjuring on turn three which is nice yeah, so uh, that's Emmy's Collected Conjuring Brew. Just to close things out, I mean, we've got a lot of people working on this card in our Faith is Brewing Discord, and it's been fun to see the different approaches people are taking. I'll mention Kilgore Trout 503 who's Jason, big proponent of cards like this, and he is testing a list that is extremely heavy on the free suspend cards. <laughs> it is a collective conjuring invoke calamity deck, much like Emmy's, but whereas Emmy has gone for like castable stuff like pillage, anger of the gods, search for tomorrow, Kilgore Trout is playing I don't know how many uh four four it looks like eleven suspend cards, four ancestral visions, four crashing footfalls, three restore balance, two inevitable betrayal. This is bribery, right? Yeah. Three Greater Gargadon, because that combos with Restore Balance. And then in order to like make this happen a little more reliably, you also have, as foretold, four copies of that, four Electro Dominance, three Invoke Calamities, four Seer Visions, four Strike It Rich. Yeah, really interesting build. I mean, I do like the idea that Ancestral Visions hopefully draws you to the point where you just get to cast Invoke Calamity. Um, you'll just hit your lands. I do worry that you struggle to interact very much, right? Like, except for the Restore Balance, I don't know if you'll be able to kill them with Footfalls often enough to actually, like, put pressure on them. I, f I feel like you'll be blocking with your Rhinos a lot of the time. Yeah, maybe. I, mean, I know this is still a very experimental build. Jason said he's just, like, testing out different interactions to see what happens. Mm -hmm. But maybe, like, the way you actually win is with Gargadon plus restore balance and you're just distracting them just buying time with everything else i'm not sure yeah yeah it's interesting but i think you do have to kind of push it all the way to the limit to see right and then you can always trim back the parts that don't seem like worth it but i think you have to start somewhere like this where you're really you know like you say you're playing a lot of cards that don't cost any mana and then you're trying to see what you can kind of squeeze out of them he did include a screenshot of himself casting Evoke Calamity, flashing back two Crashing Footfalls from the graveyard. So maybe he did win that game with the Rhinos. Yeah, probably. That's, uh, that's a lot of beef. <laughs> All right, a couple other concepts that I saw um, from Raptor1551, a pioneer list. Is it with Narsets, considers some removal spells? Not surprising there, but two Invoke Calamities, two Torrential Gearhulks, two Sublime Epiphanies. Do you feel like Invoke Calamity has a home and just like pretty normal, fair-ish, blue-red control? I think it could. I think you just want to play a little bit better cards, right? Like, I don't think you want to play Sensor in a list like this. And I, I really think you want to play uh, some number of the, the, the four mana cards that discard one and make two treasures. 
A, it gets you to your Trenchal Gearhulks. Um, B, it's just a great card to invoke Calamity in the late game. And then if you're already going to play a Galvanic Iteration, which Raptor 1551 has two of, it's just so much better than Prismari Command. I mean, it's, it's just not even close. Prismari Command is not just a, f- a fair playable card. I just, I really believe that. So I think there might be something here. I, I don't know that I'd play Sublime Epiphany either, but... I don't like the, I don't dislike the idea of like getting up to invoke calamity just a fair card and then torrential gear hulking back invoke calamity. The problem is if you're doing that plus playing digs, I you're you are taxing your graveyard pretty significantly. So that's kind of a concern as well. All right, one final concept. This one comes to us from Haksu. Staying within is it colors for invoke calamity, but trying to go a little bigger, a little more spectacular with the card Thousand Year Storm. I'm gonna read this one. It's four blue red enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it for each other instant and sorcery spell you've cast before it this turn. You may choose new targets for the copy. This is an insane card. Um, One of those commander cards that's like, okay, if this thing resolves and then you untap, you just go nuts the next turn. Can you actually try to do this in one-on-one? Well, Haksu is postulating that you can. Um, He's playing big score. This is the upgraded Unexpected Windfall. Exactly as David had predicted, this would be like one of the best things to ramp you to something spectacular and a nice card to flash back with Invoke Calamity. Also has Seize the Spoils and Prismari Command. So lots of ways to like potentially get up to six mana. And then the really cool interaction is that Invoke Calamity casts the spells, right? So you're actually casting three spells every time you resolve it. And if you have a thousand year storm in play, all of those spells like count towards a thousand year storm. Yeah, and Thousand Year Storm is better than like the new card that they printed. I think it's called Arcane Bombardment mm. from uh, New Compenna because that actually exiles a card from your graveyard and you're going to run out of fodder. But this almost pays you off because you cast a one spell, then you're casting a second spell, then you're casting a third spell. So like the first chain might just do it, especially if you're if you're copying the one that you know like draws two and makes two treasures. You have enough mana if you draw an expressive iteration at the end of all that. It's going to get copied like four times or something crazy. I think I'd maybe play some... I wouldn't play Shock, but... I think you could play something like, eh, maybe just the, the front half of Bone Crusher is enough. Yeah, that's probably fine. Because I think at the end of all that, you just use your treasures and just like stomp your opponent and it just does like 10 and you don't need to be doing much else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if one of the cards that was copied twice off your initial storm was the big score, you have enough treasures to like, I don't know, just cast a consider that you found off of the draw four that you just got or draw six that you just got. And if at some point you find play with fire or stomp, that's probably game. Yeah. And you could even go beyond that and play, um, you know, like the MDFC that does one damage, right. Just to make your mana a little better. Again, we want to all, we want to hit all of our land drops up to four, up to five. And anything mm. that makes red is very playable with Invoke Calamity. I wouldn't play Niv-Mizzet in uh, my Invoke Calamity deck. Because I, I don't think you want to play like that many Spire Bluff Canals. Again, you want to hit all your land drops up to four and five mana. Uh, and Spire Bluff Canal, awesome on turn one and turn two and turn three. But it really sucks if it's your fourth or fifth land. And, and that's the turn you miss your big score or your invoke calamity. Yeah, good thoughts there. And this is a really sweet concept. I mean, if any card can make us try to give Thousand Year Storm like a serious attempt, invoke calamity might be the card to do it. So yeah, a lot of super cool ideas for this card, Invoke Calamity. 
it's playing in a space that people like, right? People like spells. People like spells that cast spells. People like spells that cheat spells. And people like stuff that can let you go way over the top. So, yeah, I think there's a bunch of stuff to explore here. We'll have to see if we can keep uh, tweaking towards, you know, ultimately a whatever the sweetest uh, Invoke Calamity list in all the land. Exactly. If you have some ideas for this card, we would love to hear them. We are on Twitter at FaithlessMTG. And if you would like to come brew with us, you can, of course, join our Discord. We would love to have you there. That's going to do it for us for today. David, I'll bid you farewell. All right. Take care, sir. See ya. Deck lists for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next week for our testing results, plus new brews with Ledger Shredder. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.